Hello and welcome to episode 49 of The Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 3 from The Lady of the Lake. I'm excited to talk about this chapter. I really, well you know, I honestly I have some mixed thoughts on it and I'll, I guess I'll talk about why that is in a moment, but I, it's like I like it. I enjoy it. <laughs> but I just feel like maybe not a lot happens. Kind of. We do get some very interesting information. Maybe not a lot of information, but the information we get is so interesting. But this chapter, we follow Geralt. And I think that's why I love it so much, because it's been a while. I'll talk about that. We'll, we'll get into it. Uh, but let me start you with the recap. I'm going to recap you on where we left off with him. And then I'll give you the summary of this chapter. And then, as always, we are going to talk about it in detail. So for the recap, we left off with Geralt learning from, we were learning from Conwermer's dream that he and Regis revisited the cave where Geralt met Avalok only to find it completely empty. We also learned from her dream that he was staying the winter in Tucson and having a love affair with Fringilla Vigo. Aside from the dreams and visions from others, we last saw Geralt ourselves right after saving his friends from Nightingale and Shiru's men. And then he and Golem and Milva were scooped up by a walking tree and brought before the head druidess just in time to see Nightingale, Shiru, and some of their men burned in the wicker hag. When Angolem pointed out to Geralt that Shiru still had his Witcher medallion, he decided that it was okay since he's no longer a witcher. Okay, so the summary of chapter three, Lady of the Lake. We finally return directly to Geralt around Christmas time, still staying in Tucson, taking on witcher contracts and sleeping with Fringilla Vigo. He and one of his new friends, a knight errant called Reynard de Bois-Fresnay, pronunciation? I don't know. They sit in a local tavern and recount Geralt and his company's arrival in Tucson. This included Geralt's participation in an audience, going over the details of the company's mission, participation in a traditional Tucson wine ceremony, a feast, a fallout with Dandelion, and the Witcher's first romantic encounter with Fringilla Vigo, who, as it turns out, is reporting back to the Lodge details of Geralt's stay in the duchy. Fringilla. Bad. Okay, so, yeah, I'm excited to finally get to a chapter again where we're with Geralt and the company. We're not just hearing about him from what other people are seeing from, you know, friggin' visions and dreams and shit. We're like actually getting caught up on what's been going on with him and with the rest of the group. So this is the first time since chapter seven of the Tower of the Swallow um, that we're getting this, which that doesn't really sound like it's been too long. Like that was the previous book. It's, you know, the second half of the book, but I don't know. I guess maybe it just feels like it's been a while because, you know, Geralt's our boy. We love him. We want to be, we, I mean, it's fine to get a break. We don't need to be up his ass all the time, but it is, it's, it's nice when we get to return. And I thought that this was, um, that's what made this chapter so enjoyable for me. Um, but I mean, I 
actually, no, that, it is a while because 11 chapters in the previous book. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 1, 2. Okay, so yeah, this is seven chapters since we've been with him. That's too long. <laughs> okay, well, I love Geralt very much. So the chapter, it starts out with our witcher in a dark dungeon fighting and then killing a Kirolashek also known as a cockatrice. If I do talk about it again, I'm going to refer to it as a cockatrice because that's easier to pronounce. And I know that that pronunciation is correct because that monster is in The Witcher 1 and 3 games. So I've heard them say it <laughs> and I feel better pronouncing that word than I do the other one. So once this monster is dead, he retrieves the body and he returns to his new friend, Raynar. The two of them head to a local tavern and they both tell each other about how they like one another more now than they did when they first met in October. So this is actually how we realize or when we realize that some time has passed since we were last with Geralt when he was in the Druid Grove, two months. This part is where it transitions to the past back when Geralt and the group first arrived at Beauclair Castle. So when the flashback begins, Raynar and other knights are escorting the group to the castle and they're having a little chat along the way. So Raynar tells them what he's heard about how things originally got started with Dandelion and the Duchess. So when her husband, he's dead now, his name is Duke Raymond, when he was out of town visiting his own paramour, one of his paramours, Dandelion and Anna Henrietta began their secret affair, which lasted a few months until word got out. And then out of fear of being caught by her husband, he fled town. But when Raymond returned to Tucson, he heard about it anyway. And then he ordered to have Dandelion captured, killed, and to have his heart fed to the Duchess. Obviously, he was never captured, as we know. But the Duke, he was so angry about what happened that he ended up having a stroke he eventually recovered from the stroke, though, but it caused him this long-term problem of winking excessively, and that made a lot of women think that he was winking at them, and then he ended up having more affairs, and then he had his final fatal stroke while underneath one of these women. It's kind of a funny story, especially... I wouldn't normally find it funny thinking of somebody having a stroke, but this guy didn't sound like he was a very nice person, which seems especially so since it said, not just from what Reinhardt said there about like the whole thing of him having his own lovers and wanting to cruelly punish the Duchess for one time having her own lover, but uh, it's said that he didn't really have that many friends because he wasn't a nice person and he didn't have that many friends that were gonna be seeking vengeance on Dandelion for Raymond once he was dead. Well, this affair clearly left a very big impression on the Duchess as she has welcomed Dandelion back and he's being treated as if he were royalty himself. Well, when the group arrives at Beauclair, they're welcomed by Dandelion, who got there before they did, and he brings them to a hall in the castle so that they can be introduced to the Duchess Anna Henrietta, who is accompanied in this moment by Frangilla. The Duchess tells Geralt she'll hear his story in a private audience, but they first must attend the Festival of the Vat 
and Frangilla suggests that Geralt participate in the festival with Dandelion, like do the same thing that Dandelion's going to be doing. So the festival of the vat essentially included Dandelion picking up the Duchess and placing her in a tub of grapes. That has to do with wine. And Geralt does the same thing with Frangilla. And it's a traditional wine-centered festival in a place where tradition and wine are very highly valued and honored. And this is where Geralt and Fringilla have their very first encounter. And it starts off pretty suggestive. Her scent was super alluring to him and she winks at him during this whole interaction and they flirt for a second. So their next encounter by the time they get there, um, it's already prepared to continue this like suggestive banter, but that took place after the private audience, which we're going to talk about next. Well, during the audience, Geralt told the Duchess about their mission and failure to get the information they were seeking from the Druids. He said, although he didn't get the answers he wanted, he now at least knows that Ciri is alive. And I'm glad. I'm glad that he believes she's alive since that is the truth. And I wasn't sure what he believed until this point because Kahir told him, this is a while back, but Kahir told him that he believed Siri to be alive, but Geralt didn't say if he agreed or not. And I remember talking about it when in that episode where we covered that chapter, that I wasn't sure what Geralt was thinking on that. And this moment when Kahir and Geralt, Geralt were talking about this, it was a follow-up from when Geralt announced to the group that he thought she was dead. So it's nice that he does believe that she's alive now. Um, I mean, which was like updated. He was updated by that um, or by Avalok in the cave. But I mean, we didn't know exactly what he believed. Like we didn't really get to hear too many of his thoughts on that entire situation. Well, the Duchess tells him that they'll offer their support, which seems to be in the form of offering the company a place to stay and access to the resources that they have, such as the very impressive library that's there and the scholars that they have and their astrologers. And she's very happy to offer this support because the Duchess has stayed in Sintra before, so she knew Pavetta before Pavetta died and Siri. So she's even met Siri before. She was probably very little at the time, but she knew both Pavetta and Siri and she liked them both. But I, I really don't know exactly how helpful the offered support could be, nor do I know how much Geralt has taken advantage of it since arriving, since about two months has gone by, but it really doesn't seem like much progress has been made, and I'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end of the episode. But all the same, Geralt tells the Duchess in this moment that they can't stay long, partly because he doesn't want their pursuers from the Bellhaven mines and the slopes who were wearing Nilfgaardian livery to report back and have Nilfgaard attack Tucson. And to this, <laughs> the Duchess says, it's no big deal, the war's over. The Nilfgaard War is over. Well, <laughs> Carol assures her it isn't. And then she places one of her officials in disfavor for not telling her about it. And then she orders another official to write to Emperor Amir demanding to end the war. <laughs> Which was pretty funny since we know 100% He's not going to end the war just because this tiny little duchy of his own empire told him to. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, he gets a letter from 
the Duchess of Tucson saying, oh, you better end this war. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, let's call everybody back. Let's write letters of apology to all of the northern kingdoms for troubling them. <laughs> like, uh, I think it kind of just shows that she's maybe a naive person. Well, the next event in this very eventful arrival in Beauclair was the feast. And this feast gave the impression of a very good time. Geralt was enjoying himself. It said that he was in good humor. Uh, there was a whole bunch of food and music. There's knights who kept swearing on the heron, and they're making oaths to do something before they would be able to do something else again. Uh, they even brought in a bear and a bear tamer for entertainment at one point, and everybody was just enjoying themselves. And everyone in the company attended, and they were seated next to others that they were not familiar with. Uh, so they weren't all seated together, but they were getting along with everybody that they were seated next to pretty well. And one of the seating arrangements that I found the most entertaining was Milva, who was seated next to what kept being described as a tight-lipped baron. And at first, he said nothing to her. They weren't really talking at all, and she was... You know, she seemed a little bit disappointed that she was seated next to somebody that didn't really even want to talk to her. And then they eventually discovered their mutual love of bows and hunting, and then they started to get along pretty well. So at first it seemed like Milva had pretty bad luck with who she was seated next to. And then it seemed like it was a match made in heaven, so it was kind of cute. But the most important conversation at the feast was between Geralt and Fringilla, who were seated next to one another. There's a lot more flirting going on during this conversation, but that's not all. He first establishes that she's a sorceress since she hadn't disclosed that to him yet, but he could sense an aura that she possessed that gave it away. And I remember when I read that, I was thinking, oh yeah, that's right. He wouldn't automatically know. Like we know she's a sorceress, but you, know, you kind of have to step outside of your perspective because we learn things that other characters aren't learning at the same time that we are. So it was just another one of those moments. But then he seems reluctant to show her trust and she tells him that he won't be leaving Tucson anytime soon. So this is because when the company, when the company first arrived in Tucson, Geralt wanted to leave as soon as possible, not just to continue his, mi his mission to rescue Ciri, but also because after the massacre against Nilfgaardian officers and soldiers in Ked Merkvid, he thinks the Nilfgaardians are going to be pursuing him there in Beauclair, but Fringilla assures him here that that's not going to happen because the prefect of Reidbruna, Reidbruna, I forget how you're supposed to say it, uh, the guy's named Folco, Art de Velde, we met him at the same time that we actually met Angolem. Uh, he believes that Geralt perished in Ked Merkvid, and he included that detail of Geralt's death in his reports. And this is how we now know why Vilgefortz told Yen in the last chapter that Geralt died. And I actually mentioned in that episode, last episode, that Vilgefortz lied, but it seems like he truly believes it. Although I think he did lie again when he said that Ciri was dead, because I don't think he believes Ciri's dead. But I'm sure that the truth of Geralt's, not death, that uh, Geralt's alive is going to get back to Vilgefortz eventually. So anyway, Fringilla tells Geralt that because he's not being pursued and because the druids refuse to offer him any useful information and he therefore doesn't know where to go, 
uh, he won't be leaving Toussaint in a hurry. And then by the end of the feast, Geralt tells Fringilla that he trusts her. In fact, he swears on the heron. Well, even though Geralt told Fringilla he trusts her and heard what she said about being safe in Tucson and not knowing where he needs to go, the next day he decides that he's going to go find Dandelion and request he get the Duchess to supply them with horses and supplies to get back on the road. I think maybe he was thinking that with Fringilla's help, he'd be able to get some quick answers and know where to go pretty soon. What well, ends up not being the case, as we now know. But Dandelion says it shouldn't be a problem getting in the things that he wants, but he tells Geralt he was hoping that they would stay through the winter. One reason is because the weather will be getting bad soon. Can't really travel during winter time that easily. But also because he says that he loves the Duchess and he thinks there's a possibility that the two of them could even get married. This angers Geralt, who shows no problem at all expressing that anger towards Dandelion. And I too, I kind of saw it as a cop out. I think Dandelion, even though he didn't really complain that much, he was extremely unhappy being out on the road for so long. And now he's being treated and pampered in Beauclair Palace as if he were royalty. And he doesn't want to give that up to go back out to being very uncomfortable all the time. You know, no access to a bathroom or being able to bathe yourself, sleeping outside, being cold, dirty and not having food at all times, not being able to eat whatever you want or have people serve you like they're doing here. But he does also call Geralt out for embarking on an impossible mission and being in denial. I don't know if it was fair of him to do that or not, but he does. So this was the last time that we see the two of them interact, but Geralt, he didn't leave. He didn't leave Tucson, he stayed, he's still there. I'm just not sure if Geralt and Dandelion ever made up. Doesn't say so one way or the other, but I'm thinking that they did not. Because so Dandelion, he's been going by, like everybody at Beauclair knows him as Viscount Julian de Lettenhove, de Lettenhove. And Geralt mentioned him during like the present day when he's talking to Reynard. He refers to him as Viscount, what's his name? And he also commented on how during the audience back when they first arrived, Dandelion was seated next to the Duchess postured like a peacock, like a real pet. It just sounded like he was kind of talking shit. And Geralt, he, he often talks to Dandelion in this manner, but I sensed extra bitterness in this sentence. And I could be wrong, but no, that's just what I'm going to go with until we know for sure. That's what I sensed here. So I don't know. It's kind of shitty to think of them as having... Like, they're just so close. I mean, I know that they don't get along really well at all times, but they are very close. So it's just kind of sad to see that happen. So I hope that if they haven't made up yet, that they will soon. But anyway, after Geralt and Dandelion's disagreement, Geralt visits Fringilla in the library and she's been busy going, going through books by the time that he gets there. And she shows him this one book and says that it could help him learn who Siri really is and whose blood flows in her veins. But that's really the only important mention of Siri here, that said, and then it's just kind of like, okay, we're, we're done talking about it. And because he then starts to vent his frustrations about Dandelion, and that leads to her talking about love, which leads to them 
becoming suddenly very intimate in the library right then and there. So this is where their first romantic encounter took place. And I'm not going to go through the details of that. I don't think I need to. You can use your imagination if you haven't read it. <laughs> if um, you have read it, then you know what happens. It's not really like, it's not that important. Basically, they're just like books are falling on them. And just seemed like it was kind of uncomfy. Well, by the end of the chapter, it's back to present day and Geralt returns to the castle from spending the time with Raynar and the, they're at, you know, when they were at the tavern and he pays a visit to Fringilla and after he goes to sleep, she sneaks off to the secret corridor in the castle and she has a teleprojected meeting with Philippa Eilhart and the rest of the lodge. So Philippa asks what's new and Fringilla tells her nothing that not a single attempt at scanning has been made. It's not too clear what that means, but maybe she was hoping Geralt would try to think of Siri so they could learn her location through his thoughts. I thought maybe something similar to what Vilgefortz did with Yennefer, but he had Yennefer hooked up to this complicated device and it was causing her a lot of pain. So I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not really explained what that means, but I was thinking maybe something along those lines, just without the device and the torture. <laughs> but then Philippa asked if she's capable of keeping Geralt in Tucson until May. And Fringilla tells her that she's going to try her best. So for some reason, the lodge doesn't want him leaving Tucson until at least May. And it's not said why, but I mean, I'm sure it's got something to do with Siri. Maybe they're thinking that they'll soon be able to get a hold of her. The Lodge will soon be able to get a hold of her, that is. And they want Geralt to remain in one place until they do so that he doesn't get in the way. But between answering Philip's question, Fringilla thinks about how she's supposed to be honest with them. She wants to be honest with them. But she's not going to be telling them this detail about, in the past week, Carol, he called Fringilla by the name of Yennefer twice while they were together, like together, together. Damn, that's so uncomfortable. But since she's spying on him for the lodge and she's trying to manipulate him, I don't really feel bad for her can't really feel a lot of sympathy for this woman but this shows that he still loves Yennefer <laughs> we still don't know if he still thinks that um Yen was working with Vilgefortz but either way his feelings for her have not completely gone away it's kind of exciting I guess depending on how you feel about Yennefer but either way I don't think that I don't I don't think he's lost feelings for her I mean if he did. I don't know. I'm trying to think maybe there's, there could be an argument there that he did and him saying Yennefer's name comes from something else, but no, no, don't even try to tell me anything like that. He loves Yennefer still. <laughs> okay. Well, I have one last thing I wanted to talk about before ending the episode and that was about Geralt and his Witcher activities in this chapter. So end of chapter seven of Towers Follow, Geralt declared he was not a Witcher anymore. Well, that didn't last long. In this chapter, we see that he's accepted many job offers to kill monsters. The very beginning of the chapter, he's killing a monster. And it was actually this really nice transition, if you haven't read it. Uh, so the previous chapter, it ends with Conwormers dreaming about Geralt. 
in this dungeon and he's about to fight the cockatrice. And then this chapter picks up where that left off, except it's no longer in her dream. But still, oh, the transition it was so smooth. I really loved how that was written. But yeah, he slashes the cockatrice, and while it's slowly bleeding to death, dying in a lot of pain and agony, he's peeing and he's like whistling. So not only is he killing monsters like he said he wouldn't do anymore, but he's being a little disrespectful about it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the peeing and whistling is not an added form of disrespect, but... Uh, that's just kind of about how I interpreted it, at least. But um, and when he gets to Tucson, though, because this takes place at the beginning of the chapter, but it's um, like present day. But when he first gets to Tucson, he is almost immediately asked to take on a monster. And that was by the Duchess. She asked if he could take on this succubus. And he actually agrees to try because by this point he realizes he should just be saying yes to everything the Duchess asks. But then he's actually later approached, um, not just that day, but later on too. He's approached at least two times that we know of by these men offering to pay him to leave the succubus alone. <laughs> so it seems like the succubus is providing these men with something they don't wanna see go away. It's kind of funny. But then, Shortly after the group's arrival in Tucson, he's asked to kill a monster in someone's cellars, and he agrees to do it, and Regis is present when he agrees to it, and Regis tells him that he's astonished that the Witcher in Geralt has been revived, and Geralt says that he kind of just reacted instinctively when the guy asked him to take care of the monster, and that he's not actually going to go through with it, but that obviously didn't stick. He's been doing this. He's been killing monsters, taking on contracts. Um, I'm thinking that maybe, just maybe, this is a big maybe, but <laughs> this could be why the druids refused to help him. They knew, okay, well, I, don't, I don't mean to say this with such conviction. They possibly knew that he wouldn't give up being a witcher like they wanted him to. That was a condition to get their help. And he was, you know, I guess at the time thinking, yeah, I won't be a witcher anymore. I mean, he wasn't taking it totally seriously at first, but you know, he gets into the cave, the medallion burns up with Shiru, and he says he's not a witcher anymore. So that could be why they refused to help him. I don't even know. Who knows for sure? But... Either way, and I don't mean to sound, I feel like I just kind of talked about this whole thing of Geralt taking on these Witcher contracts with like a tone of disgust. I didn't really mean to sound that judgmental towards him. I'm sure he's got his reasons. I just thought it was really, uh, I can't think of a, the word that I'm trying to, I can't think of the word. Uh, interesting, whatever. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he, very recently said he was done being a witcher and then that just out the window so quickly whatever okay closing thoughts it was a bit of a refreshing chapter after the past couple of chapters being a little bit unorthodox not that i thought that they were bad it was just nice to get back to something more familiar and also i honestly okay so i i just tried to make it sound like i wasn't speaking with such disgust about Geralt, but I'm, I'm about to go down that road again <laughs> with something else. I honestly got the impression from this chapter that Geralt has relaxed and lost a little bit of interest in finding Ciri. 
I hope I'm wrong. But I believe, 100% believe he still wants to find her, but I think that the desire has died down a bit. And I understand that he can't really leave during the winter time and he doesn't know where he needs to go, but I still got that impression from this chapter. He originally told the Duchess that they couldn't stay long. He got into a fight with Dandelion about not wanting to stay the winter. So what happened? It's not told what happened. And that just makes me think that, well, and he's just, he seems so comfortable here. I don't know. It's possible that he tried and just hasn't gotten any answers yet. But from what it looks like, he's been very preoccupied with Witcher contracts and Fringilla. He even heard the company say as much when they didn't know he was listening. I don't know. I think it, it really just could be that he has no idea where to go and maybe he's run out of places to look for answers on where to go. I don't know. I I could be wrong in this whole theory that he's lost interest. Perhaps in a future chapter, I will be proven wrong in these feelings. I hope so. Okay, looking ahead. Will Geralt catch Fringilla's betrayal? I find that unlikely. Something I was wondering about, but I find it unlikely because she's very intelligent and I don't think she's going to slip up or do anything that will lead to her getting caught. Also, what exactly are the Lodge's plans for Geralt? Love to know the specifics on that since we weren't given any. And is Geralt going to make a more noticeable effort soon to get back out and find Ciri? Next time we see him, I hope that happens. He probably, yeah, probably just needs to wait out the winter at this point. But the ideal thing to happen is she, or I'm sorry, that he would somehow get answers on where he needs to go by the time the winter ends. I think at this point, and normally if I'm unsure about certain timelines and things like that, I would do my due diligence and go back to the chapter, whatever chapter I needed to, to figure out exactly where everybody is at what time, because timelines can get kind of confusing. They are super convoluted at this point because Siri is traveling through time and space, <laughs> traveling in different worlds. So I don't even want to mess with that, but I think Siri at the Geralt's present time is in the elf world that uh, we found out that she was in in the beginning of this book. So it's, I mean, he might not be able to find her at all anyway, but I'm hoping that by the time the winter ends, because we do know that she returns. We don't know any of the details, but we, we do know that she returns. So I'm hoping that by the time he is able to leave, the winter's over, he's able to travel again. I'm hoping that she has returned to this world and he can get some answers and go look for her. But we'll have to wait and see. Okay, <laughs> that's all I have for you. So just to let you know in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for joining and I will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>